Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Who loves life and freedom? A few people. You guys are a bit in the front row is okay. Front row is good. But the rest of you guys, you're already thinking of something else. I don't know what you're thinking of, but I'm offering you life and liberty. This is a chance for you to really get something amazing uh, for yourself. And, uh, and I really feel like God wants to do something with that. And, and it's really in line with this whole series that we're doing. It's called Uncomfortable. And re- uh, we, we set up the premise of this uh, three weeks ago. And you can get that on podcast. And we're talking about how uh, we have this underlying belief system in our lives that we, we just live out unconsciously. It, it, it dictates how we do things. It, 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 it shapes our decisions and our behaviors. And this underlying system is, in a, uh, is a system that we develop through being a part of culture, uh, through our experiences. But quite often, that underlying belief system is not that healthy. It's not actually that great. In fact, it's broken. And so through this series, what we're trying to introduce is thoughts, principles, truth from the Word of God that challenges that underlying belief. What happens when this new truth comes into our lives, though, is that it creates something called dissonance, a little bit of discomfort. And in that discomfort, in that time of discomfort, we get to choose whether we hold on to the old ways of living, which is not that great, which actually brings a lot of frustration, brings a lot of different issues into our lives, or we can choose to take the leap of faith and latch on to what God is saying for our lives. And as we do that, as we go through that process, we change. And as we change, we grow And as we grow, we get to access more of what God has got for us. That's what this series is about. And today is going to be a challenging word. You're not going to like it. You're really not going to like it. I I 100% believe that if you like it, you're probably not hearing me. You should dislike what I'm about to say to you guys. And because of that, let's pray. Let's pray, because I don't want any stones. I don't want to remove every uh, heart object and, and place it at the back of the auditorium before we start, please. But God, I, I just pray that you're going to speak. I pray that your truth, which brings life, is going to be what we see this morning. I pray that God, that if there's anything that I'm bringing that is not of you, I pray that it just falls to the ground. What remains is the pure truth that comes from your word, that brings life and that brings freedom. We thank you, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. We're going to start reading from verse 3. We're going to be really camping on this passage this morning. I love this passage, and it reads like that. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. You guys are not excited yet? This is good stuff in there. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And, and I, I found this passage, I mean, it's always been in the Bible, and I've probably read it through a couple of times before. I found this passage about 10 years ago. I was going through a difficult season in my life, and in particular, I was becoming so aware that I wasn't doing that well. 
I had this self-awareness that was opened up to me through a difficult situation that showed me how far away from who God was calling me to be I was. I was seeing that I was struggling. I was really struggling. Uh, to, as I looked at it, I was evaluating my life. I was like, well, God, why am I so crap? <laughs> Have you ever had a moment when you're like, oh my gosh, I am just doing so crap at life right now. You know, I, had those moments, I have those moments still every now and then. Not as often now I've grown up. But as I was going through that, I, I found this passage and it says, His divine power. His divine power has given us everything we need. His divine power. It doesn't say, as you try harder. It doesn't say, as you will yourself to goodness, you will find yourself in a good godly life. It says, His divine, I don't know why you're not excited yet. It's His divine power that gives us everything that we need. And so this morning, everything else that I say, have this filter that what I'm saying is not for you to try harder. It's not for you to, uh, to will yourself to goodness. I'm saying that God has provided what we need, that His divine power. And I know that God's divine power is unlimited. And as far away as I am from where I should be, His divine power, which is unlimited, has been made available for me, which then gives me the ability to live the life that He has given to me. And this divine power, Peter goes on to say, His divine power that gives us everything that we need, through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. Oh my gosh, how good is that? He has given us His very great and precious promises. I love that. Not only is He giving us everything we need for a good godly life, He then, through these, is unlocking a way for us to have great and precious promises. Great and precious. Just think of that of a moment. Everything that your life is right now, is it great and precious? Does it have this God sense that you are living out all that He has for you? Because God has got great and precious promises for your life. He doesn't give you second-rate, broken, made-in-China promises. He gives you made in heaven promises that doesn't break down. That is exactly what you need when you need. But it goes on then to say, it gets better. It just keeps getting better. I love this passage. It says, so that through them, these promises are not just for you to have a good life, but through them you may participate in the divine nature. You can participate in a divine nature. You know, some of you, including myself back in the, uh, a while ago, I had this mindset that God was some kind of despotic, power-hungry being that needed me to act in a certain way to fan his ego. That he was selfish and holding back from me the good stuff. But the more I look in the Bible, the more I see that what God has got for me is great and precious promises through which He is inviting us to participate in something that He calls the divine nature. He is sharing of His very nature with us. Goes on to finally say, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires desires. And that's exactly what this series is about, is about the fact that our current life 
It's always at attention. It always has this base underlying beliefs of what we should be getting and what we really want. And the world bombards us, our culture bombards us with these thoughts about what you need today. It tells you that you need that new cologne so that older girls will like you. I've tried different colognes. I've tried different deodorants. It does not get any girls around you, especially if you get links. I've spoken to girls, right? All the links to ads, like you spray this on and you are like a safari man. And all the girls are going to be like, oh, you adventurer. I want a piece of you. You spray links. Girls think sweaty, BO-filled teenage boy. That's what they are seeing. The moment they smell links, it's like, oh, that's a boy that's just come off the basketball court. I'm going in that direction. You will smell like a safari, just not the kind of safari you want. But these ads, these things, these songs tell you about the life that you can have. We, we listen to pop radio nowadays and nearly every second song is about, and I drop your inhibitions. Party like tomorrow's not going to come. I'm just going to feast on this love for one night. All I want is one night. And it feeds these underlying belief system inside of us that is actually corrupted. It's actually going to bring us destruction. And what God is actually calling us to do is to escape, escape the corruption caused by evil desires so that we can participate in the divine nature. Let me put it forward to you this way. How many of you would like a little more love in your life? You're all liars. <laughs> Whole bunch of liars, especially you, Mitch. No, you put your hand up. You, you, there was one truthful man in the back corner. Ladies, if you want a truthful man, <laughs> how many of us would love more love in our lives? How many of you would love people around you that you could completely and utterly trust no matter what happens? How many of you would like to be in a relationship with someone that you know has only got your highest good uh, in mind? And, and I, I was searching for that love a long time ago. I was really needing, um, yeah, just this sense of what love was. In fact, I was going through a difficult season. I'll talk about that a little bit more. And, and as, as I was going through that, I was like, man, why, why am I just not finding love? Why can't I get love? And I just did a Bible search through it, and I really tried to find out. In fact, I was just trying to find out what love actually is. Can you actually define love? You know, to this day, I cannot define love. This morning is not going to be a message on what love is because I feel like love is too big for us to comprehend. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is love. And if anyone can fully explain who God is in the fullness of who He is, then you will be able to explain what love is. And I haven't been able to get there. And so love is this massive thing. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love and it says love is patient, love is kind. We read about it all the time. But at the bottom of that uh, chapter, it says that right now all we get to see of love is like we're looking through a dimly lit mirror. It's just this shadowy form. What earth is able to have is a shadowy vague form of love we don't really know what it is but as i continued as i continued my journey of trying to find what love was i came across this chapter that talked about his divine power and all that stuff but then it goes on in verse 5 and it says this for this very reason what reason was it that we escape 
the corrupted desires and reach for the divine nature. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. So when I read this passage, I like the bit where it says, His divine power gives me everything I need. I like the part that it tells me that, um, that He's got great and precious promises for me, that He's asking me to participate in the godly, divine nature. I love all of that. I even love that I get to add to my mutual affection and my love. I love people. I think it's a great thing. But I think many of us don't like the in-between, the sandwich. We, we, we don't like the adding to our in particular, self-control. I want to talk about self-control today because I believe that it is an underrated thing in our culture. And I also believe that we don't really understand what self-control is. As I've mentioned, our culture rubbishes self-control. It tells you that if you are self-controlled, you are a wet blanket, that you are a prude, that you are living in the dinosaur ages, and that you, you, you have got no idea what life is. But I'm here today to tell you that if you truly want to understand what love is, if you truly want more love in your life, you cannot go past self-control. If you want the divine nature, if you want all the precious and great promises that God has for your life, you cannot look past self-control. Self-control is so important to us. And, and I really believe that we need to camp here this morning and, and, and think about what self-control is about. And to help us with that, I've got a quote. I've got a quote from a psychologist. His name is Daniel Goleman, and he wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. Very famous book, lots of people talking about it today. And um, this is something that he wrote in there that when I read it, it was like a uh, sledgehammer in the face. This is the good stuff. Let me just read it to you. It says, There is growing evidence that fundamental ethical stances in life stem from underlying emotional capacities. For one, impulse is the medium of emotion. The seed of all impulse is a feeling bursting to express itself in action. Those who are at the mercy of impulse, who lack self-control, suffer a moral deficiency. This is a psychologist writing it. This is not a Bible. This is a psychologist saying that if you are at the mercy of impulses, you suffer a moral deficiency, which means that you don't have a moral code that you can live by. The ability to control impulse is the base of will and character. By the same token, the root of altruism, altruism is just basically a loving, helping behaviors, lies in empathy, the ability to read emotions in others, lacking a sense of another's need or despair, there is no caring. And if there are any two moral stances that our time calls for, they are precisely these, self-restraint and compassion. Let's unpack this for a moment. You get impulse, and I hope that I've already demonstrated and you can just understand that our world tells us that living by our impulses is fine, is in fact good. In fact, our culture likes us to think that when we live out of our impulses, we are simply being ourselves. 
You know what I mean? It's like, it's the first thing that came up from your head. That must be the real you. That is really who you are. When you let yourself go, you drink five glasses of alcohol, that's the real you because you've got no inhibitions. You're not trying to control who you are, and therefore I am seeing the real you. That's what our culture tells us about impulses. But what psychology is telling us, research is showing us, is that impulse, impulse is the opposite of self-control. Impulse stands in direct contradiction to self-control. And what happens when we lack self-control is that we actually are saying no to empathy. When I live out of my impulses, I'm actually saying no to empathy. Why? Because impulses are innately selfish. My impulses doesn't care what you think and what you're doing. My impulses only knows what I want and it evaluates what I should do based on my base desires, what that the underlying belief system inside of me. So what happens is that we suppress empathy in order to live out our impulses. And something that our world tells us is that as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, it's okay for you to continue doing that. The problem is that the more I give in to my impulses, the more I'm saying no to empathy, the more likely it is that my future actions is going to hurt someone. It says that the lack of empathy is the reason why there is no more care and concern in our lives. What is going on in our world, the most divided it's ever been, is tearing itself apart, is because there's so many people living by impulses, selfish, self-centered impulses, and we shut down empathy, the ability to read other people in order to live out that life. But even more, even more destructive to ourselves personally, Maybe let's zoom in into the person. Let's not worry so much about the world politics and all that kind of stuff. But for you as a person, the more you live out your impulses, the more you are unable to receive and give love. Let me tell you a story from myself. I was about 21, 22, and I had just gone to a relationship, and I thought that I had made it. I thought that life was sweet, life was good. Um, and, and during the time of dating, 10 months in all, I was so happy. I thought that this was going so well. I was even thinking about, okay, maybe let's take the next step. Let's get ready and all that kind of stuff. And then 10 months came and, and my then girlfriend said to me, Nate, we're heading in different directions. We're going to break up. It hit me like it was a king hit. You know, someone just ran from behind, smashed me with a bottle in the head. I was like, oh, what the heck does that even mean? You know, girls have this way of trying to let guys down that doesn't make any sense to anyone. Girls, you need to know this. When you try to let a guy down, just tell him, I don't like you. It's a lot easier. It seriously is. But she said, no, we're going different directions. And I was like, what does that mean? It's like, are you wanting to go to the eastern states? Are you, are you wanting to, like, is America in your future? I could do America. I don't mind. Maybe Fiji. I could do Fiji too. Where are we going? I did not get that different directions meant something completely different. But the breakup brought me into six months period. That is the darkest, most hellish time in my life. I, it, it, it is that season that I just spoke about that, that brought me into this space of greater self-awareness. And I saw 
so much stuff in here. That was like, where did that even come from? About three months in, after a lot of self-reflecting on my actions and what I said and what I did, I realized something. Throughout the 10 months that we were together, it was actually all about me. I didn't realize that when I was in the relationship. I thought that I was caring for her well and all that stuff. But I recognized after 10 months, I wasn't actually caring for what she really cared about. See, one of the things about me is that from the age of about 17, 18, I knew that church was going to be my world. I knew I was going to work in a church. I knew that I was going to sow a lot of time in the church. I love everything the church did. And I, I just wanted to get involved in as much church as I could because that was what I felt God was pushing me towards. But for her, she wanted to be an occupational therapist. And she really saw value in her work in, in, in the secular environment, and she really wanted to do that. But every time she mentioned it, I shut her down. Every time she said, no, no, Nate, I see my ministry as being an occupational therapist. I'm like, yeah, but how are you serving God? And I remember one particular conversation. See, our youth group was um, doing quite well. And what we discovered was that there was a bunch of 9 to 11-year-olds that were too small, to, too young, literally too small, because some of our youth were pretty rough. But uh, we, we, we couldn't have them in our weekly youth program at night. And so um, the leadership decided to start a, a, a pre-teen uh, uh, youth ministry that started from like, uh, I think it was about 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock uh, on a Friday night. And then from there, we would uh, slide into our Friday night proper full youth program. And when they came out, I was like, this is amazing. Let's do it. And, and I was still studying, and, and my then-girlfriend was also still studying. And so we had this conversation, uh, and, and I remember just telling her, it's like, why, why don't you want to say yes to this? Why are you saying no? And she was like, well, I don't feel like I need to. And it's like, that, that children that are dying you know, they, 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 they don't know God, and we get this opportunity to share God with them, and, and on and on. I was like, what are you even doing anyway? You don't need that extra study. You don't need any of that. And I was trying to uh, just ram my way through this decision so that she would do this ministry thing with me. And uh, when I look back at that, I cringe mightily because of how selfish I was. You see, I was living out of impulses that I didn't even know existed in me. I was living out of some emotional needs that were actually destructive and stopped me from being able to be empathetic to another person. I did not see the value of this person's decisions. I did not see that her behaviors were leading to something of great importance, of great value. All I saw was that I need her next to me because she makes me feel good. All I saw was that this relationship is the one thing that I truly think gives me a sense of value and worth. And because I was desperate, desperate for value and worth, I said things and I did things that shut down empathy in me. There was no love in that relationship. It wasn't a true love it was two people trying to make sense of their own lives. In particular, this guy trying to make sense of his own life and living out a whole bunch of selfish things. I know it's a bit of a sad story, and, um, but you know what? I look at that season and I go, that is such a treasured season in my life. 
that six months period of deep, 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 deep darkness is actually one of my most treasured seasons of my life. You know, I, I've seen so many people, they go through difficult times and, and because of the pain, they just run away. But I have found that that pain was my greatest friend because that pain drove me to understand that there were some impulses in me that was not under my control, that was causing me to do things that were destructive and disgusting. I devalued another human being because of my impulses. There's no way I could be in a proper relationship with another person if I don't even know how to value them. You want more love in your life? Then you need to know what impulses you are living out that is taking away. And not just in relationship, not just in, 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 in romantic or, uh, type stuff. I'm talking about in all areas of your life. Your impulses will cause you to self-seek, to look for things for yourself. It will shut down empathy. It will shut down your ability to connect with other people to see the good in other people and for other people, and it will make your life smaller. And so the Bible tells us that we need to escape that because he's got a higher way of living. See, self-control sounds difficult, and it is, because you're fighting against impulses that you don't even know are there, that you don't even know are restricting you and causing you to live in a certain way. But if we don't learn how to do that, if we don't learn self-control, our world is lost. If we don't learn self-control, your world is going to get a lot smaller. It's going to get a lot less meaningful. It's going to get a lot more empty. I don't mean this to sound harsh at all, but this is what depression does. Depression is a whole bunch of emotional impulses. You don't wake up one day feeling depressed for most people. I understand that there's sometimes different things that are happening, but most people don't wake up one morning feeling depressed. What happens is that you go through a series of days listening to those little thoughts those emotional impulses that try to tear at your worth and your value. So day one, it might be like, I just had this really weird thought that no one likes me. So that's all right. I, I think I'm okay. You go through another day, and then suddenly that thought is still there. No one likes you. Look, look at that way that person looks at you. Look at the way your teacher talks to you. Look at the way your boss talks to you. They devalue your work. They don't see you as a person of any worth and value. They don't like you. You go through another day, and then that day, maybe another thought comes in. You know why you don't have a relationship yet? Because you're not attractive. People don't like you. And then you go through another day of hopelessness, another day of listening to these thoughts, and they keep building, and they keep building, and they keep building. Suddenly, you're in a pit. You're on a pit so deep that you can't find your way out. You wake up and you don't even know why you should be waking up. You don't even know why you should be getting out of bed because you're in this pit. 
This pit that has been building over time. This pit that is just this small place. You want to get out of that pit? Self-control. Starting to say to those thoughts, you're not going to own me. You know what self-control is? Self-control is realizing that those destructive behaviors do not own you. It's understanding that those impulses are not the same as who you are. And that's why self-control doesn't actually start from willpower. It starts from a knowledge of who God is. When we look back at 2 Peter chapter 1, and you look through anything in the Bible, nowhere does it say that self-control is a product of your will. As much as self-control sounds like willpower, self-control comes first and foremost from God as we recognize the goodness of God, as we recognize the power of God, as we recognize that He's got great and precious promises for your life, and He's saying, I'm giving this to you. Why don't you get rid of of that corrupted desires and participate in the divine nature. That is the starting point of self-control. Self-control is actually knowing who you really are, who God has said that you are. You are precious. You are knit together by God, a handiwork of God. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. You have got value and worth that is inherent in you. You do not produce it. And through that, I choose who myself is. Myself is not this selfish, this destructive, impulsive human being. I am a child of God. You know, the Bible tells us that the whole earth is groaning in anticipation for the revealing of the sons and daughters of the King. Do you know why? Because all of you have got an identity that comes from God, but so few of us are living it out. We are choosing to live out of those base, destructive desires. You know, God wants to bring freedom this morning. The starting point of self-control is understanding who God has said that you are. You are precious. You've got worth. That negative, sarcastic, backbiting, empty person, that's not you. It might be you right now, but it doesn't have to be you because God said, I've got a divine nature for you to participate in. I've got a divine nature to participate in. And I, I, I'm so worried that our next generation is told that you are who you are and you can't change. If I can't change, I'm stuffed because the dreams that God's given to me is too frustrating, too big for me right now. I need to change. I need to get ready for my tomorrow because tomorrow holds more opportunities, more God stuff in my life. If I keep holding on to yesterday's opportunities, it's going to hold me down. It's going to make me small. I need to mature up and to grow. And that's why I'm going to value the trials. That's why I'm going to value the difficult times. That's why that six-month period of hell for me was also the day that I decided I'm going to be different. I don't have to live like that. That old me, that old me, I want to crucify. I hate that guy. If I'm still that guy, none of you will like me. You wouldn't be sitting in this room listening to me rant and rave. You'd be at some other church with a nicer person. But because I've grown, hear this, I've matured. Do you know that living by your impulses has another word? 
It's called immaturity. Simply called immaturity. When a baby cries, you don't go, oh, you're so immature. Why are you crying again? But if your 12-year-old cries at the drop of a hat, if your 35-year-old, not looking at anyone's room, <laughs> still cries and whinges about what he wants or what she wants whenever they want, there's a word for it, immaturity. Immaturity. God's calling our church to a greater level of maturity. And it's not maturity for the sake of growing up and making God proud. It's a maturity because God has got great and precious promises. It's because He's calling us to participate in the divine nature. When I, when I think of you guys, can I be honest? I see so much, so much potential. But there's only so far potential can go. I love sport, right? And I always love watching the young players come through and the commentators are like, man, that's a kid with so much potential. But how many of those kids with potential turn into a player of promise? And then how many of those players of promise turn into superstars? The truth is that God's created everyone here with the potential to be absolute superstars. I 100% believe it. One of the words that God uh, gave to Beck and I before we planted is that one of the weird things about us is that uh, this, this prophet had this picture of this Christmas tree and there were all these presents there. And they saw people going after all the big, glossy, beautiful presents. And Beck and I would go for the little one that was at the back of the tree. We'll go after the one that's at the back of the tree. And, and this, pre, uh, this uh, prophet was saying that as you take that, you start to work on it and you make it into a real treasure. That's one of the work. One of the precious works that God is doing in this house. You might feel like you're a lump of coal. You might feel like you're nothing special. But as you go through life, as the pressure continues to push, I believe that there's diamonds inside all of us. I believe that there's a treasure that God has placed inside of your life. But that takes a partnership with us and God. God has, the truth is God's already done most of the work if not all of the work. He's already given His Son. He's already said that I've got grace sufficient for you. And that's why Peter tells us, therefore, since we know that God has made a way, since we know that God's called us to something greater, make every effort. We don't start with self-control, by the way. We start with faith. We start with recognizing that God is doing something great in me. So he said, make every effort to add to your faith. So I'm adding to my faith. I'm building my faith. I'm saying yes to God. We talked about faith a couple of months ago. I'm learning how to say yes to God even more. And then it says, add to your faith, goodness. As I say yes to God, there's a goodness that re-enters my life. And I know that God's doing good in me and through me. I'm continuing to say yes to Him. And then it says, add to goodness, uh, uh, knowledge. Knowledge. Interesting. God does it. God's not scared of science and knowledge, but I believe that the greatest knowledge is found within the pages of this book. As we continue to read the Bible, it shows us, it shows us who God says that I am. It, says, it shows me who God says He is. And the great and precious promises are all found in this book. So I'm adding to that knowledge. But then once I get more knowledge, I'm adding to my self-control. See, knowledge without action, knowledge growing without me choosing the new, the better, 
the above, the divine, means that I'm still living in the past. I'm still living in the base impulses of my life. And then as I choose self-control, then I'm choosing perseverance. Because self-control in one moment is not really self-control, is it? It's just a moment where you felt strong enough. That's why you go for camps, you go for conferences, and you feel, I am on top of the world. Next day, no more self-control. It's like, was that really self-control there? Maybe it was for that moment, but there's perseverance that you need. You need to keep saying, God's still good yesterday, today, and forever. I'm still holding on to those promises. And then you add to that perseverance, godliness, because as you persevere in your self-control, you become more like Christ. That's the process of what is going on. And only then do you get mutual affection. So I actually have friends. Whoa, this is good. Why? Because I've actually done the things that makes me a good friend. And only then, then I get love. Some of you are trying to jump the gun. You don't want the self-control, perseverance, godliness, goodness stuff. You just want faith. I know God and then I want love. And so there's a process that each and every one of us are submitting ourselves to. So this morning, if we can get the band up. I believe that today is a starting point for many of us. See, self-control is not something we get tomorrow. Self-control is something we start today. I'm going to choose greater. I'm going to choose to participate in the divine. I believe that supernatural stuff is about to break out. But that supernatural stuff needs people that are willing to leave, live supernatural. And that often means that I'm going to cut off those impulses that are pulling me away. Because I've seen that there's something greater. For many of you in this place, I hope that that's something that you've already seen and is a journey that you're on. Let me encourage you. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Perseverance today, tomorrow, the day after, the week after. God's doing something. You might not know exactly when the breakthrough is coming, but that's why we need perseverance. But you keep going. But then there might be some people here that haven't actually had a proper encounter with God. The reason why you're living according to those impulses is because you don't believe anyone else cares for you enough. That no one else is really going to look after you the way that you do. Unfortunately, without God, that would be the one way to live. If I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't have a God who truly loved me and showed me value and worth, I'll be one of the most selfish people in the world. The only reason I'm not is because God loves me. He really does. And He loves you as much as He loves me. And He said, I'm going to send my son, I have sent my son to die on the cross for your sin so that you can participate in the divine. So this morning, maybe you're in this room and you're like, I don't know if I'm right with God yet. I don't know if I've accepted the forgiveness that God has made available for me. If that's you, can I invite you to say this prayer with me? And our whole church is going to say this prayer along with you so that you're not going to feel left alone. But right now, why don't we all just close our eyes, bow our heads. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Father, I know you love me. I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. So Jesus, I invite you into my life. 
Wash me clean. Make me whole. I want to live for you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.